Hi, you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network and to We Dig Plants. We're broadcasting from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. And there is on top of this container a garden that produces food for the restaurant. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And we are uh, the principals of Groundworks, Inc. We design install and maintain gardens all over New York City and the surrounding area. And our show, We Dig Plants, aims to bring the culture to horticulture. Now on today's show, we're gonna be talking about wood. (laughs) Alice, you can't do this to me. I'm sorry. Um, Wood as a product of trees, Alice, as natural resource. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) As garden building material, And we have as our guest, Kevin Yardley, owner and proprietor of Diamond Tropical Hardwoods. Hi, Kevin. Howdy, ladies. How are you doing today? Hi, Kevin. We're good. Kevin is a plantation owner, a wood supplier, and a garden furniture builder. Now, um, Alice um, kind of got my mind going in an unusual direction, and um, I'm going to talk about wood from a botanical point of view. What is wood? (laughs) So I thought it was very interesting, uh, Wikipedia's literal definition of wood. So let me read that to you. Wood is an organic material, a natural composite of cellulose fibers, which are strong in tension, embedded in a matrix of lignin, which resists compression. In the strict sense, wood is produced as secondary xylem in the stems of trees and other woody plants. In other words, in a living tree, it transfers water and nutrients to the leaves and other growing tissues and has a support function enabling woody plants to reach large sizes or stand up for themselves. In other words, it's part of the circulatory system of plants. Right. I was actually thinking of it as the skeleton, skeletal system. Right. Um, it provides an upright position mm-hmm. and a framework for the plants, but it's also kind of the endocrine system. Yeah. You know, as the messenger and the carrying system. Yeah, it's a very live, at least initially, it's a very live part of the plant. Now, of course, as humans, we've used plants and wood for millennia. We used it for fuel, for shelter, for innumerable works of art. And for much of that time, there seemed to be a limitless supply. But from my point of view, it has meant so much more than that. I believe that humans react to wood as a material in a very, very unique way. I mean, have you ever fallen in love with a beautiful piece of furniture, a beautiful piece of wood furniture, or appreciated like a finely carved piece of sculpture? You touch it, it kind of feels alive, doesn't it, Alice? It feels yeah. different, well, you know? that's the thing, the, the magic. It was once breathing and functioning and providing. Exactly. So unlike an object made of metal or plastic, I think when, when we... When we when we have a wooden object in our hand, it, it's, it's connects, we connect with it in a very fundamental way. And I think it's because, as Alice said, it was a living thing. Now, one of the most interesting woods that I've ever touched, and Alice, don't go there, <laughs> I'm just saying. was that of the manzanita tree. It's a really beautiful tree native to California in the southwest. And its branches have the smoothness and texture of bone. It's really, really amazing. If you've ever seen that tree in a botanical garden out west, um, it it doesn't survive here in the northeast where we are. But if you happen to to go out west, you should, you know, appreciate them. They're very, very beautiful. Yeah, it even looks alive with the sculptural trunking. Oh, really? Twisting branches. You practically expect it to move. It's like a yoga master, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Now, of course, you know, we realize that 
our ancestors' choices and many of our current habits have severely impact, impacted the planet and our lives is, are going to depend on how we use wood and other precious resources that are limited. And our guest today, Kevin Yardley, knows a lot about trees, um, especially tropical species, and about wood and its properties as a resource and a building material. Kevin and his wife, Christine, both Harvard graduates and newlyweds, began their career in Costa Rica as volunteer English teachers. And then Kevin put his prodigious energies into protecting the environment in a new and entrepreneurial way. Now, Costa Rica, as some of you may not know, is the country only about the size of Virginia, but it has 5% of the world's species, which is pretty astounding. And when Kevin began his first teak plantation there, it had one of the fastest deforestation rates in the world, probably similar to Haiti, because I think Haiti has like, you know, removed about 95% of their, its trees sure. or, or more. Kevin can talk yeah, more Haiti about Yeah, Haiti and El Salvador are like 99% deforested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Costa Rica was going down that path, wasn't it? Yes, they were cutting 3% a year. So in only 33 years, they would have cut down all the trees. Wow. So what Kevin and his wife did, they, they bought their first degraded cattle farm in 1992, and they started planting teak. And now their company has brought work and benefits to the local people and their plantations, which now number 12, protects 1,000 acres of primary and secondary jungle and provides safe havens for an incredibly diverse selection of flora and fauna. And of course, Alice and I have a special relationship with Kevin and his company. We use his teak planters and his furniture on many, many projects over the years. So Kevin, tell us a little bit more about how you ended up in Costa Rica growing teak. It was kind of by default. My wife wanted to help people after we graduated from high school, and she, excuse me, from college, and she decided that uh, Costa Rica, the World Teach program, which is very similar to the Peace Corps, was a great place to start. But she wanted to be a teacher, so we went down there. They did not guarantee us of being placed in the same community together, and since we were recently married, we decided that she would be a teacher, and I'd find something to do. And we uh, studied it. They have an incredible uh, tropical agriculture institute in Costa Rica called Cartier. I think there are five of those in the world with one in Hawaii. There's one in Indonesia and a couple other ones in, I think, in Puerto Rico, some other tropical areas. And we thought that uh, teak farming or planting these trees was good business. Then we began looking at some of the uh, most endangered species and native species. Like I always ask people to name one tree on the endangered species list, and pretty much no one can. And right. so what we did was uh, look at these uh, trees like mahogany or purple heart or tiger wood or Spanish cedar, mm-hmm. how they'd been planted, which was barely anywhere in the world, or how they'd been uh, pruned and maintained. And we went into it with the uh, with the uh, viewpoint of working hard and doing some test plots and trying to uh, learn as much as we could from other people. We would do well. And I, I met some people from Canada who had been in the reforestation business for more than 40 years, and so they helped us a great deal. And they, in fact, have some uh, younger plantations in Costa Rica. And overwhelmingly, our projects have a majority of native species. Uh, teak is not native to Costa Rica. It's kind of like eating corn from uh, Idaho or potatoes from Idaho. Mm-hmm. It was all planted for human consumption. Right. Other species of trees, the native species, I think, are better for the environment down there. And if you plant teak in an area where there was an old cattle farm or, say, a rice farm, and 
you don't use pesticides and herbicides, I think it would be a net benefit. But if you do plant teak on hillsides or areas that create erosion, or if a lot of my competitors clear-cut the jungle, and then they planted teak in a monoculture, and that I would say unequivocally is bad for the environment. But by right. and large, we plant a lot of trees, and over the years we've uh, started processing the wood and kiln-drying it and making some nice things out of it, the teak planters and trellises and such that you ladies uh, sell quite of, <laughs> yeah. quite a few of. And it's been a, a, good, uh, a good business. I can't say we're making a lot of money at it, but we've uh, invested well in real estate. And trees are like children. As you uh, take good care of them, they grow uh, straight and true. Right. <laughs> so wood is actually a byproduct of the plant. Um, is that right? So what... And, and the name of, of teak uh, botanically is Tectona grandis. Is that yeah, right? Teak was, uh, they think, introduced by humans in Java about 5,000 years ago. Someone probably in a dugout canoe took one of these trees over there and planted it. Before that, it was only found in Southeast Asia in countries like Myanmar, Burma, right. Laos, Cambodia, some in China, Vietnam, and pretty much all the teak uh, forests, natural teak forests have been destroyed except in uh, Myanmar, and because of the uh, dictatorship, the government there, there's a lot of companies who will not touch the uh, Burmese teak, the jungle teak. The uh, teak was reforested in the New World, I believe. It began in Trinidad and Tobago okay. about 75 or 80 years ago. In fact, I just recently came back from Trinidad where I visited some of these old plantations about 10 days ago, and I was really impressed at how uh, extensive they were and how uh, big and straight the trees And how were. tall do they get? Teak in the... Uh, in the reforestation projects in Costa Rica, it gets up to, say, 130, 140 feet tall. The tallest tree in your plantation is representative of the, of the site. It shows you the potential of the site. If you do not prune and thin correctly, then you uh, will not have very good growth. The uh, wood we're viewing as a main product of our plantations, we do get a lot of bark, a lot of sapwood, a lot of leaves and mm -hmm. such, but those we try and leave in the plantation because there's a lot of magnesium and calcium in those, which are, which are very important, but much as your listeners probably with uh, gardening, if they're trying to garden in clay or in too uh, gravelly or, or an area where there's not very good uh, drainage or not enough water, the results will not be as good as if you have rich, fertile soils that are loamy and good drainage, depending, of course, on what you, uh, you want to grow. Exactly, right. So what makes teak such a useful wood for those who don't know much about it? What makes it a great uh, material to use in the outdoors and in the garden? Well, if I say Mercedes-Benz or BMW or, or Ferrari or Lamborghini, it conjures uh, images of fine cars or expensive products. Teak and mahogany do the same. They're the most famous or the most well-known uh, woods in the world. And Teak is uh, an industrial application wood. It's got a natural oil in it as well as silica. It can be up to 1.5% silica, which is like a grain of sand or glass. That's what makes it so durable because it's almost like abrasive. If you try and cut it with normal high-speed steel, it completely dulls the blades. And if you want to piss somebody off fast, you can give them some teak to use in their woodworking shop because it will destroy their machinery. <laughs> <laughs> teak is used a lot in the boating industry. They use yeah, it on the right. decks of warships and submarines exactly. in World War II. And I have a theory that the U.S. government during World War II went to some of the big corporations like the United Standard Fruit Company and said, if you want to keep importing bananas and fruit into the United States, you need to plant teak because we need this. And the Japanese have taken over Southeast Asia. And it, it was almost like industrial diamonds for uh, yeah. for. Uh, machinery or maybe in rubber or something right. that they couldn't get for the war effort. They planted a lot of teak in the New World beginning in the 1940s. Oh, that's I think that was because they wanted a guaranteed supply for a future use for the, uh, for the war effort. Right. So how long does it take to go from seedling to usable lumber? 
Well, you ladies, I would say, would be about two and a half to three months old if you were teak trees. Teak can grow about 18 inches to 24 inches a month. And what? at year six or year seven, you start to get into uh, commercial thinnings that have a lot of sapwood in them, wood that's juvenile wood. It's not very hard, doesn't have very good properties. Uh-huh. That's what we use in some pallets and packing materials or, say, for posts. Mm-hmm. After you get to year uh, 25 or so, you really get into high-quality wood, and that's entirely contingent on where you plant it. What we can accomplish in Costa Rica in about 25 years takes anywhere from 50 to 55 years in Trinidad, and I have friends who've been in this industry longer than I have, people who own teak plantations and have done a lot of research around the world, and they tell me that in Thailand, for example, where there are quite a few uh, teak plantations, and in Indonesia where it's planted widely, they put in about a million and a half acres of teak the Dutch planted there beginning about 185 or 190 years ago, they uh, they take almost three times as long to uh, produce what we can produce in Costa Rica. And is it a function of the climate, the annual rainfall? What is it that makes it grow so teak much? Needs, every species of trees, I, I like to say, I'm not a religious man, but I use an analogy. God has been uh, developing these species or evolution or Mother Nature. If you look at a tree that grows well in an area, say in your backyard, that's suited for the area. If I take an exotic tree from Africa and plant it in the United States or something from a tropical area and put it in a temperate climate in, in Pennsylvania where I live or New York or Vermont, it's not going to grow as well. Think about putting a grapefruit tree or an orange tree outdoors in the uh, Northeast. Oh, it's just, right. Teak needs about anywhere from 90 to 150 inches of rain a year, and it needs a defined dry season, like a three- to five-month period where there's barely any rain, less than two inches per month, a real deficit. That's what enables it to get hard and for the wood to have deeper, darker color. We get teak in Costa Rica where people plant it in areas where there's a 12-month rainy season. Literally, it rains year-round, and they might get 200, 250 inches of rain, that teak is not good. We right. won't buy that for our business because it's not hard, it's and too it's, soft, yeah. it doesn't have the right colors, there's not enough oil in it. If you get teak from a really dry region like Guanacaste in northwest Costa Rica, where they have a killer six to seven month uh, dry season, the wood is denser and harder, but you give up growth potential. We were very fortunate in Perita, it's the central Pacific coast in Costa Rica, south of Jaco and north of Manuel Antonio Capos. It's a very famous national park there on the Pacific coast. That's an area where we get the ideal conditions for teak with deep volcanic soils. We've got one teak plantation along a river there where we've accomplished amazing growth. It's like 4,000 board feet per year per acre. And that's not what we're going to harvest because you do thinnings and prunings. If we start with, say, 600 trees per acre, we might only end up with 80 trees per acre at the final cut because as the trees get older and bigger, you thin them out initially to get them to uh, increase their height, and then the later thinnings are to increase their uh, their diameter at chest height or the uh, basal area, the real volume in a plantation. And there's uh, a lot of studies that have been done on teak, very few on some of the other species we plant, like cocobolo rosewood or the Spanish cedar. Or the mango, the mango wood. Yeah, mango's an interesting species. We do sell that quite a bit. It comes from uh, fruit trees. It's the same species. Um, I think it's called Mangaferda indica. That's you right. Know, all over the world, it's the exact same, uh, exact same species. And I found that mango is incredibly figured. We sell a lot of wood to wood turners for bowls and such, and people love the uh, fruit woods. They're softer and easier to turn. I think and they the give color. off a nice smell. And those colors are just like... Mango is a strange wood. I know yeah. a lot about wood. There's uh, ebonies and ivories and uh, koa from uh, uh, Hawaii that are incredibly beautiful and world famous. And I would put mango on the short list of the uh, five most figured woods in the world. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's gorgeous. And I kind of spent some time drooling on your website. (laughs) (laughs) So um, tell us about the impact that your business has had on the community and how your relationship uh, with the community has evolved. I am a fortunate man. My father and his uh, siblings were well-educated many years ago. My father's almost 80 years old, and his family taught him to help others, and my father got me involved in uh, Big Brothers and Sisters when I was in high school, and then Project Hand to help uh, underprivileged kids when I was in college. And I've just learned that it's like a, a bone in my body. I'm supposed to help people. And so in Costa Rica, we went down there initially as volunteer English teachers. My wife worked in the poor part of town. She worked in the rich part of town. She helped in the high schools and the elementary schools. We started a foundation to help get assets sent to Costa Rica, where there's 56 elementary schools and one high school in our area. They only have 10 computers at the high school and no Internet access. And if you want to uh, start with your your foot in a hole and at a disadvantage, uh, don't know what's going on in the Internet and don't have computer skills, and that's what you see a lot of times in the developing world. Costa Rica is a fortunate country. It's going to make it. It's got a lot of tourism and a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of benefits. It's a very trendy, popular place to visit, but still, one-third of our employees are illiterate. Yeah. And I use a basic example. If your child has gotten into, the, uh, gotten into the, some nasty chemical, say somebody's got an ant killer or a, or a herbicide or something, some evil rude chemical, which are pretty easy to buy a lot of times in the developing world, and the antidote is milk. Uh-huh. And if you can't read and write to give your son a, a glass of milk to save him, what happens? And so yeah. we've helped a lot of people get basic uh, skills and helped uh, send some kids to university, helped uh, get more kids going to to uh, high school. We've literally built a lot of bridges for about a 10-mile region there from the mountains to the coast. Yeah, I was reading about that. That's pretty amazing. And you guys pay higher than average wages. And we yes, that. my CFO is not too happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Our employees are pretty happy about it. If you yeah. go to a plantation and uh, ask what they're getting paid to uh, chop brush and kill poisonous snakes on the other side of the fence, they might get paid a third of what we pay our employees. We have accident insurance. We have uh, It sounds like you need it, <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you, I have great respect for Mother Nature. I, I'm from Montana, and I live very close to Yellowstone Park. I know how beautiful the world can be, but I never realized how intensive uh, weather or just... Uh, I've yeah. seen insects 14 inches across, tarantulas, I want to hear more about it, but we have to take a little bit of a break. Um, when we come back, we can talk some more, uh, Kevin. Um, Sounds great. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We're going to take a break and listen to Jethro Tull's song from the wood. Welcome back to We Dig Plants on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with Kevin from Diamond Teak. And um, Kevin, we want to switch gears a little bit um, in our conversation and talk about this whole green labeling 
that has entered the marketplace. I know um, Kevin doesn't have much to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to decipher what is legitimate. So can you tell us and clarify um, about the labels for green wood and what they really mean? I use a couple of analogies or like uh, uh, world famous and international groups like the International uh, Red Cross or the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Usually everyone's heard of those. What we have in, uh, in the world that's similar in the reforestation or the tree planting business is called the FSC, which is the Forest Stewardship Council. They've got about, I think, seven or eight different groups around the world that work underneath them and go out and certify tree plantations as being sustainable. They want to make certain that you're not uh, mistreating, say, native uh, populations, Indians in the jungle and the Amazon. It's not much of a factor in Costa Rica, but they're a worldwide uh, incredibly respected group, and we work through the Smartwood program, which is based in uh, Vermont, but they also have offices in Mexico. No, I believe Guatemala that we work with in Spanish. And then I know that there's one, I think there's one called uh, a Green Cross that's out of Switzerland. There's several of these that are uh, mm-hmm. accredited in the FSC, but the FSC is the international overarching nonprofit organization similar to the Red Cross or the uh, UN that comes in and they talk to your neighbors, they talk to your employees, they make certain you're not using uh, herbicides, pesticides, and uh, nasty chemicals that have a, uh, a toxic uh, effect on the environment. And they, uh, they do pretty uh, rigorous audits. It took us a couple of years for our plantations to get uh, certified. Uh, certified. And then we have what's called chain of custody or COC. Uh-huh. It's kind of like kosher food, that if you uh, have food that is or vegetarian food, food that is not have any meat in it, you don't want to have a spoon from a uh, uh, lasagna with meat mixing the uh, vegetarian lasagna. And so what they do is at our factories, we keep track of all of the wood from each plantation. There's different painted colored ends, and there's a tag on every pallet. So a project that is chain of custody, FSC certified, I can take that teak from my plantation, I can cut it into boards, kiln dry it, and then I can make planners for you ladies, and then I can bring that to a corporation that's green and looking for sustainable products, and we can guarantee them there's a chain of custody from our reforestation projects in Costa Rica all the way to your client's door that that product is sustainable, reforested, and it's been doing the, the utmost. It's really the gold standard in the uh, in the certification business. Great, because a lot of our clients um, and, and the general public, you know, they're becoming very aware of this, and, and I think they want to make the right choices, so it's good to have some clarification. And there's also incentives now, um, you know, when you have like lead certification, mm-hmm. whether it's, I think the different levels are silver, gold, and platinum. Right. And all the materials that you use can add up to different levels of certification. Is that, I believe that that's correct, right, Alice? Yeah, yes. I- exactly. And that's where wood and, uh, m- you know, material choices really come into play. So, of course, we use a lot of the Diamond Teak um, um, products, benches and fences and furniture and other garden structures. What's the relative advantage of teak versus ipe, which some people call, um, it's also known as ironwood, um, versus cedar? I have a competitor who makes furniture from cedar, mahogany, and teak. And when I went by his factory one time, his employees, uh, I call this a non-scientific test, they took a thumbnail and dented the cedar. Cedar is a beautiful wood, and oftentimes there's many different species, but there's aromatic cedars. We've got one from Costa Rica called Spanish cedar, which is known as bitter cedar, which means the insects do not get into it. It's incredibly uh, resistant against termites. If you look at teak, teak has the natural oils in it, so the... uh, 
rainfall or say if you're on the ocean front where you get the corrosion of salt, those do not get sucked into the wood. I always tell people if you have wood in a mummy's tomb where it never gets dry, if you have wood at the bottom of a lake where there's uh, no oxygen that can get to it, that wood will last for right. decades, hundreds Cypress. of years, if not thousands. Where wood breaks down in rocks is when it gets wet, dry, wet, dry. And if you're on the seacoast or, say, in a yacht or on an ocean-going vessel, mm-hmm. and you get salt sucked into the wood when it dries, and then that salt is corrosive and breaks it down, that's when you get problems with rot and decay. Mm-hmm. Ipe is a nasty, dirty word in Costa Rica. Okay. The loggers <laughs> have cut down all the Ipe trees. There's a giant green macaw, the biggest green parrot in Costa Rica that's almost 40 inches uh, right. tall. They nest in the Ipe trees, and because the loggers have killed all of them, they've pretty much made this, uh, this bird extinct. I think the last count I saw, they had 20 nesting pairs in the whole country, and they thought it was an unsustainable population. You cannot buy Ipe legally in Costa Rica. Many of the farmers were burning the trees at the base of the trees, so they'd push them over with a bulldozer, and then they'd bring in a reforestation or a forestry engineer and say, oh, this tree's fallen, or this tree's damaged at the base, I'd like a permit to harvest it. They've taken away all permits, even for damage and fallen trees. That's pretty astounding. But it sounds like, like from a business standpoint, it could be a good uh, market to get into. Is there? I've tried reforesting epane. It's extremely slow growing. It does um. strange branching where they come out at 90 degree angles with a lot of energy loss. There are good trees that grow straight and true, and there are, uh, some trees can even be self-pruning, meaning that the branches, lower branches, fall off as the tree gets older and there's less uh, sun hitting there. But I know they do get a lot of epe out of the jungle in Brazil and mm-hmm. certain areas, but I am not a big fan of jungle woods it's uh it's i i have a, a simple saying you need to chain an environmentalist to every tree in the jungle to protect it because these guys will get a permit to cut down one tree and then they'll have a road that needs to be 200 yards long that meanders around for a half mile and mysteriously goes through every single big valuable hardwood tree in that jungle tract so and as soon as you get a road in and you have access to one tree then you get people coming in and cutting down trees for charcoal, you get slash and burn agriculture, and most of the trees in the tropics are not cut down for the wood. They're cut down to clear land. For land clearing, right. So right. it, so the wood is actually just a not not the main product. It's like a byproduct, and it but but when it comes to the states, though, Ipe is very expensive as a as a no, not so much anymore. Um, we, there's a lot of it in the marketplace. I remember there was a big controversy for the Atlantic Boardwalk, the Atlantic City Boardwalk. They were mm-hmm. trying to make it out of a tropical jungle wood that was not sustainable. There are jungle concessions that have been certified. They uh, supposedly work on, say, they cut down 2% of the trees every year, and so 50 years rotations and such. But mm-hmm. from what I've seen in the tropics, I mean, I literally lived on teak plantations for seven years. I've been working in the tropics since 1992. I do not trust these guys. We did a Johnny uh, Mahogany Seed program, kind of like the Johnny Appleseed, where we paid some money in Bolivia. You made Bolivia liquor? No, I'm kidding. To, <laughs> we planted some uh, mahogany trees in Bolivia, and we went down there and we studied uh, what these gentlemen were doing and how it worked. And in the end, they could not convince the loggers to leave a tree in the jungle because they could earn more money with it later if the uh, price went up or if it grew in diameter. They got more volume out of the tree because these loggers felt as soon as they walked away from that tree, someone else would cut it down. Sure, right. I also saw a big spread in uh, National Geographic where they had some Indians who sold a big lot of mahogany, a lot of trees that they cut down, and the people who bought it from them didn't pay them all the money they got ripped off and stolen from. And yeah. It's unfortunate. There's a lot of uh, a lot of smoke and mirrors in the uh, tropical uh, deforestation industry. Uh, 
if you use an FSC-certified product or if you use a wood like teak that's reforested in the new world, then you're guaranteed that it's, uh, it's uh, sustainable. But if you start buying jungle woods, you've got to be very cautious. Yeah, I mean, we, about we who do, you're dealing with, right. We do trade in them, but it's very difficult to make certain that the uh, paperwork is legal and that the... Uh, there's, yeah. there's a lot of corruption, a lot of bribery that occurs in the uh, developing world. Well, thank you for, for talking about that, because I think as designers and um, people, you know, involved with architecture, everybody's all like, Ipe, 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 and because it also has this Class A fire rating, which yeah, in New York for is, is, is so important. And many people want to make their decks out of it for that reason. Right, right. So it's good to know what the differences are. So thank you for that clarification. And um, So would you say, Kevin, that now in the 21st century wood is a renewable resource a lot of people are leaning towards bamboo and thing like that because they think of it as something that's much more renewable it grows fast it has you know excellent properties for for building and for making flooring out of how do you think it compares to that kind of thing we have uh, woods like balsa, for example, which are softwoods that can grow incredibly fast and even uh, compete with bamboo in terms of how uh, quickly you get a final cut or really world-class material, wider uh, widths and longer lengths for the uh, the boards. Mm-hmm. But wood is definitely a new renewable resource. Like We use the uh, scrap, the uh, sawdust, and the uh, bark and some of the uh, offcuts to... Uh, kiln dry wood. We have fire burners, so we, we blow hot air across the wood to kiln dry it with those. And we even have something uh, set up that's called a gasifier, where we use a pyrolysis or the, uh, the uh, heated air. It's kind of like a natural gas or a petroleum factory where you see them burning off the uh, plume. We mm-hmm. use that same type of technology to generate energy, and we can literally run diesel or gas motors with this hot air that comes from burning wood. Oh, wow. So you're using every part of the tree. There's a famous book by uh, Sinclair Lewis called The Jungle, yeah, yeah. where they talk about the uh, the slaughterhouses in Chicago, and it's, right. it's a famous line that says, we use every part of the pig except the squeal. Yeah. We yeah. use all parts of the tree. Yeah. So um, this kind of brings us to uh, one of our last questions, which is, um, I know that you come from a scientific background, and of course that means numbers. So can you share with us some of the numbers from your business? For example... Um, a typical tree. How much wood do you get from it? How much is waste, etc.? With a teak plantation and a 25-year rotation, we plant anywhere from 400 to 600 a, a meter. The spacing, excuse me, at four to 600 an acre. I'm, I'm, I'm translating everything from hectares and meters because most people from the United States are more conversant in the uh, the pounds and inches. Yeah. Unfortunately, they yes. tried in the <laughs> 70s, but we just couldn't get it, Kevin. <laughs> right. Well, I'm kind of thick-headed as well. I, I know the miles and the inches pretty well. But we plant with about a 10 by 10 foot spacing between trees initially. And when you finish at the final cut, we'll have less than 100 trees per acre. And so a good teak tree could have up to 1,200, 1,400 board feet. And if you look at uh, people might work with cubic yards in the cement industry, or mm-hmm. they might think of a board foot, which is 12 inches by 12 inches by one inch thick. So if you had a 2,000 square foot house with one inch thick flooring, they would need 2,000 board feet for that. Or if you looked at how many cubic yards that would be, that would be about five cubic yards of wood. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, if we were to take 10,000 board feet from our teak plantations that have been pruned well and thin and they're straight trees, we could get up to a 70% yield. So if we took 10,000 10, board feet in log form, we would produce 7,000 board feet in 
lumber. Of that lumber, about 50% of it, or 3,500 board feet, would go to the furniture factory, where we would make really high-end, expensive furniture, 100% hardwood. Mm-hmm. Then we'd use the other 50% of the yield, or the 3,500 uh, board feet, would go to our planter box division, where we would produce deck tiles, and the planters, like you ladies buy, trellises, and mm-hmm. other products. And we even sell, like, little uh, turning squares, I have a lot of gentlemen are uh, making pen blanks or little uh, souvenirs, puzzles, uh, pool cues, billy clubs, halyards for boats. I mean, we sell a huge amount of uh, teak products, cutting boards and things like that that uh, utilize the seconds or even thirds or the uh, the drops that most people uh, do not use. Right, right. It's so beautiful. And um, if you'd like to learn more, you can log on to our Facebook page where we're going to, we can put some pictures of some of your products on. And a link to your website, Kevin. And a link to your website. Um, Unfortunately, we are wrapping up our time limit here. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you, Kevin Diamond Teak. You shed a lot of light onto the reforestation teak tree issue. Yes. (laughs) And we're really thankful that you spent some time with us today. Uh, This is We Dig Plants at Heritage Radio Network. The show will be available for listening via archive at heritageradionetwork.com and also via podcast. Uh, We'll be posting a link to Kevin's website, like we said. um, And our Groundworks uh, fan page is Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants. Thanks to Jack Inslee for producing and Nat Wiener for engineering and to Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Happy gardening. See you in the garden. Thank you, ladies.